0: Welcome to the St Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall. And I'm Simon Carley. And today we want to just take a topic that Simon's going to be talking about at USEM and develop some of the thoughts about how you can get in-situ simulation to happen in your department. So Simon, not all of us can visit the glories of continental Europe over the next few weeks. So hopefully you won't mind if we take this opportunity to gather some of your wisdom as it's going to be delivered to those lucky folks. Where is it you're going again? Oh, it's Amsterdam. Amsterdam how jolly how jolly yes. um so Simon we're going to talk a bit about in situ sim may as well start off by saying what is that the same I've heard guerrilla sim in situ sim what what are the different things what does it mean okay sure oh, well actually it's interesting I feel a bit of an imposter on this
1: because I'm not a full-time simulation person I'm actually a bit of an amateur here so there, but-
0: there are actually people who do this full-time
1: yeah, I know. There's a, there's a whole bunch of people who do it all the time. And they're fantastic. They work in these amazing sim centres which cost millions of pounds and they have fantastic resources. The problem is that a lot of us can't get to them that often. Um, it takes quite a lot of bit of time. And, and when you go away to them, you're often dealing with people who you don't work with on a day-to-day basis. And that's where in-situ sim comes in. So in-situ sim is doing simulation in your own department. For me, doing it in resus, doing it in the cubicles in our department. So that's what the in-situ stuff is. The Gorilla Sim, which I kind of quite like, but is a little bit more risky, as we'll discuss later. Gorilla Sim is still in-situ sim, but it's with no warning so it's like three o'clock in the morning i have done this i must admit three o'clock in the morning um press the buzzer in resus with no warning and just get the team who are on to come into resus and okay here's your patient let's resuscitate
0: so you can plan for the first one and the gorilla thing which we'll talk about in a bit is unplanned and that really gets to the the nub of what you're doing now reassure me i i'm a bit bit of a cynic about simulation because to me simulation is about doing a resuscitation on a mannequin in an als scenario And I've never known whether or not that actually translates itself into improving clinical care. So do we actually know that this stuff works? Does it make us better doctors and nurses?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, if we'll put some stuff on the website, but there's loads of other links um, around there that shows that simulation works in a whole variety of different departments. So there are studies out there that shows it's good. In fact, there's um, there's a really good talk from SMAC, the original SMAC by John Gatwood, um, out in Australia, who's got some really great data on simulation works. So that's the data stuff. But just in terms of what we see, what we do, what we find, is that since we've been doing this, we've been doing this for about nine months, there's no doubt that the behaviour of people who are involved in SIM in our resource rooms and the organisation of our teams, the structure, the process, the efficiency has definitely gone up. I know that's a little bit qualitative. I know that's just my feeling. Maybe I'm a bit biased,
0: but I see it every day. So Simon, I've known you for a little while now and you strike me as a relatively extrovert, slightly outgoing, gregarious individual and I can see how that simulation environment would suit you but there's quite a few emergency doctors who aren't necessarily like us, who are a bit more introverted, quieter, don't want the hubbub and the hoo-ha and the performance that can sometimes go on with these things. It's a bit like being a rather nervous actor and performing the first night of a play in front of just theatre critics how do you get beyond that so that people don't feel intimidated and scared and everybody can be a part of it? It's a really important
1: point. And I think the first thing you do is you recognise that that's the case. If you're really into this sort of stuff, it's, it's really very, very easy to just get totally excited about it and run away. And in fact, when people go away on courses and they do it with strangers, maybe they feel more comfortable doing that because they're not doing it with their peers. The flip side of that is we resuscitate as teams all the time. We perform with real patients all the time and we're expected to do things in front of people we've never met before and also our colleagues in all different specialties and all different professions on a day-to-day basis and so normalizing that into the sim setting to say this is just the same environment you are doing you working with people you recognize working with people you trust can help having said that it doesn't always go well and we've had a couple of disasters when we were first starting, it's got to admit this, when we put people into situations which they found very difficult and we had to pull them back from the brink when they got quite upset about it. And I think we learnt through error that we do need to ask people that they're comfortable to do it when they first start. And you get a feel that if things are starting to get a little bit worrisome and people are starting to get a bit stressed, that as if you're running the situation, you've got to be acutely aware of that and pull back from giving them any further stress and supporting them in the
0: process really important point so you've got these people you you pick it's often a self-selecting group who might do simulation i suppose but when you're doing it you're trying to describe a situation where you're doing it in the emergency department in the recess room we can't shut the doors there's people around all the time how do you make it happen whilst the day-to-day running of the ed goes on around you Uh, Well, you just do, Um,
1: I suppose is the easiest thing to say, is we run it in our resus usually. Um, There are sometimes patients in the resus and there's other stuff going on in the department. Now, patients, I'll take those two things. The patients usually don't mind at all. If you go in beforehand and say, look at this massive rubber dolly, isn't it hilarious we're going to do some training the patients and the relatives have no problems with this at all and I've had nothing but positive reactions from patients Clearly you make a decision that if you walk into resources somebody who's having ongoing resuscitation somebody who's extremely unwell if they're a very difficult circumstance if it's just too busy if the nurses are stressed in there you call time you just don't do it you have to pick your moments so and be sensible so patients are really from that point of view um, important but usually in fact almost always, tremendously supportive the second thing is what about doing it in the department what about the distractions well actually distractions are really important we did a sim session just recently where we were doing a simulated cardiac arrest straightforward scenario and we had one of our nurses come in and ask the team leader to just comment on this ecg so they're trying to run the arrest and they were just to walk in put an ecg under the nose and say this ecg looks fine doesn't it is it okay can you just sign it And we got them to sign it, and they did sign it. It wasn't normal. And that distractibility, that's normality for our teams. That's normality for what goes on. And if you do that, there's tremendous learning about how the individual copes with distractions. But also, as a department, we can learn that by distracting people in high-pressure, high-stress states, where they're trying to run a cardiac arrest is a very bad idea. So you can use those tools in, in your normal department, your normal running department, as incredible
0: learning opportunities. So you've got the department, you've walked in. When do you do this? Is this any time of day? Are there particular times you found that are good to do it? Is it just a case of opportunistically finding a time when glory be, there's no patience in your department? Or is it a set session where you say every day at this time or every other day, we're going to do it? What's the actual practicality of making it happen? okay a little
1: bit of a combination of all of those things really so we have um, regular middle grade and junior doctors teaching so we can put it into that and we do do some of the other groups in the in the hospital like foundation doctors will come to us and do a bit of sessions we can do it so in those fixed sessions that's great we can do it purely opportunistically so on those rare occasions when there's not a lot going on we can do it i did a session at two o'clock in the morning on new year's um, eve once because it was really quiet so we just did a session then i don't think it was terribly popular but most of the time we do it around handover so most of our sessions are run in the morning around about eight o'clock in the morning so we have a handover at that time and we know we've got basically essentially double staffing at that time if handover finishes a bit early which often does then we get a group of people not everybody into resus to do a short in-situ sim they have a rapid usually a resus scenario not always and a rapid debrief a hot debrief which means that the entire process is over within 30 40 minutes which therefore doesn't impact on the department it becomes routine and you're actually training your team who are then going to work the next shift together It's multi-professional. The nurses are in there. The healthcare support workers in there. We get the radiographers to come down and take x-rays. If we're going to go to CT, we take the mannequin to CT. I have CT'd the mannequin. So we get the team that's going to work together to train together. How awesome is that?
0: It all sounds ideal, really, that you can form those links in a point of time where actually you're allowed to make a mistake. Because I I care deeply about many plastic dolls, but actually one or two of them expiring is not the end of the world. So making a mistake in that environment must feel safer. Now, I know there's an awful lot we could talk about with simulation in general, but better really, if we can, to concentrate on this in situ idea. So you've got a certain time of day. For you guys, it's the first thing in the morning. Now, there's always going to be pressure. There will always be someone waiting. There will always be other things to do that other people may decide are more important, how do you persuade others, and of course by others I'm really saying non-clinicians, that this is an important use of your clinical time, so where they could be seeing patients or whatever else might be involved. Yeah, I actually
1: think it's not just the non-clinicians, actually. I think you will find colleagues in both medicine and nursing who may think it's not a great idea. And they need, they need persuading and they need buy-in. So when we decided to do this, we got together with the senior clinicians. So our clinical director, Steve Jones, got together with the senior nurses. And we said, look, we need to do this. We need to train multiprofessionally. We've all seen the incident reports that come through, I'm sure, every department in the country that say that we have problems with some of our care. What are we going to do about it? This is something we can do. And it's something we can do all together. So you get buy-in from the senior leaders in your department and therefore you have the reflected authority of them to do it. So you just say, it's been agreed, we're going to do it. You just get out there and do it. If you ask too many people, yeah, they will have the opportunity to say no. So ask the smallest number of people you require to say yes and then just go and do it.
0: And I guess it's key to make those first few sessions successful. So you throw as much into those as you can so that the general feeling is positive. How did you make your first sessions a success?
1: Well, I'm not sure they were a success, but they certainly happened. We just got some really interested people together. So we did have a couple of senior nurses who I work with, Sarah Martin, etc., who were, you know, up for this and had a real buy into the idea. So we got together, we got the mannequin out, and we just said, we're going to do it. Tomorrow morning, let's go for it. We made it happen and we drove it through. And I think because we're relatively senior in the department, that allowed it to happen. I think if we started this from somebody who was very junior, say, you know, if one of our junior doctors decided they were just going to run the sessions, I don't think it would have worked initially. And there was a bit of resistance. It probably took three or four months of doing this on a regular basis before the department felt as if it's something that we should be doing.
0: And how often are you now doing it?
1: I would say on average now we're probably doing it three or four times a week.
0: So that's an amazing opportunity, isn't it, for your doctors and nurses and everybody to be having this education. What what topics do you choose? Is it just the sexy stuff? Is it possible to simulate hand washing or do you have to do things that are resuscitation based? In general, we do the resuscitation
1: stuff. Our focus at the moment is around the management of and the effectiveness and the efficiency of resuscitation teams, because that's where we felt we had some issues. In our department, and I think it reflects most UK departments, we have good consultant cover, but that's from 8 in the morning until midnight, seven days a week. What happens between midnight and 8 o'clock in the morning worries everybody, I think. Well, not worries us, but we, we need to ensure that we've got good quality care out of those times. And even during the 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight, we know through incident reports and issues that things don't always run brilliantly. So the focus was on the resuscitation room, the focus was on how teams work, how they integrate and how we have great clinical leadership and about how we calibrate our clinical leadership in resuscitation. So we have great leaders, we have great resuscitationists, but if we're all doing it in a completely different style, we'll have different ideas. That's not good. So simulation has allowed us to calibrate. So our registrars leading the teams, our consultants now doing the sim are understanding what other people do and that's allowing us to
0: come together, which is good from a departmental efficiency. And you have everybody participating. So that, will there be consultants taking part? Because again, that's pretty threatening for some people to be to watched so intently of what you do day to day and in essence be examined by your junior colleagues as to whether you're doing it well enough. There's a lot of pressure there. There is. And not everybody's
1: participated so far. Some partly that's an opportunity and partly that's not opportunity but most of my consultant colleagues have now participated and so we have people on both sides of the fence so we encourage that both at registrar level consultant level and junior doctor level so that they will get the idea of participating but they will also spend some time on the other side of the fence watching what people do and understanding why things happen and I actually wonder a lot of the time whether people who are reflecting and watching what's happening in the resource room gain as much if not more than the people are actually participating in the simulation itself so all our consultants are involved not all of them are actually participating yet but I think that will change with time
0: so you do a simulation it may not take a huge amount of time you get to the end of the scenario whatever that may be do you all sit down and have a debrief then is it a hot debrief do you go to the coffee room or is it just there in recess who leads that how does that happen
1: Okay. Well, the debrief is obviously really important. Debrief is essential for any good simulation because you you got to you got to protect people, understand, and get some learning points out of it. So, there's a few things we're doing now. Um, we do do a hot debrief because of the nature emergency department. Unless you do it there and then, they're going to disappear off. It's going to be very difficult to get them back later. So it's hot. It's also pretty focused, so we don't try and do a massive one-hour debrief. We don't try and go through video. We've tried videoing it in Resus, but the technical things make it difficult. And we don't have time to go stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, go through the video. That you can go when you go away and do your simulation sessions in a big sim center. So we don't use video. We do it as a talk. We do it focused on what the learners want to talk about. So we do the learning conversation. We don't do Pendleton's rules. We don't do what went well, what went bad. Oh, it was okay. We go, how did that feel? I noticed that that was a really stressful situation. How did it feel for you? It looked like you had some difficulty making decisions at times. Can you take me through that? So we do a learning conversation and we get everybody to contribute to that. And we do it live there in the department, face-to-face, in a circle, have a chat. What we did initially was just that. And then we went off. I summarised a couple of learning points. Since we've employed a, a sim fellow, on the back of all of this, people have recognised it. It's a great idea. So we've now got a part-time sim fellow. We've now formalised that. So we all write down at the end what we learned. So we have our discussion. We have a learning conversation. And then our final point is we just go around the room and say, what did you learn out of that? And we write it down. And so we have a written record of what we did, what the patient was, who the participants were, and what the learning outcomes for each session were, both in terms of technical things, in terms of personal things, and most importantly, arguably for an in-situ sim, process. So what is it about our department, the way we set up, the way we're organised, where the kit is, what we've got up on the wall, where the posters are, all that kind of stuff, helps the department learn, not just the people who are involved in that particular sim session.
0: Do you ever bring people in from other departments to be part of the session? So simulating, for example, a major trauma where you might need some airway uh, helpers to come down, an anesthetist, an intensivist. Do you get them to come and be part of this as well? Yeah,
1: we've done it with a full trauma team. So we put a full trauma team alert, alert out, which was really good. So we've done a few of those now. So uh, most recent patient we did was an assault who had been stabbed and kicked in the head. They were notified as a GCS-14. By the time they arrived, they dropped the GCS. So we did a full RSI with an RSI checklist in the ED. And then we transferred the patient to CT and we CT'd the mannequin. And that picture of the CT of the mannequin has been around Twitter a few times now. But that was really good. So we had the whole team coming down. So the anaesthetist came down, the surgeons came down, the red cardiologist came in the ODP came down and we did a full thing we drew up the drugs we gave the drugs we tubed the patient we put them on a transport monitor and we took him to
0: CT. And had you pre-warned those inpatient specialties that you were doing it so if they were sitting in clinic you can imagine a huge amount of resistance to being pulled from a theatre session or a clinic session to do something like this?
1: On that particular
0: one, what we did is we got
1: the consent of the trauma lead in the trust. And the trauma lead in the trust spoke to the clinical heads of division of those relevant specialties and said, this is what we're going to do. And they went, yeah, sure, go for it. And he did a little check in radiology and just made sure they were happy. And we ended the situation on the CT scanner. So if you get consent at high level, then... It's usually not a problem. We were quite concerned about it, actually. I mean, we were quite worried that people would come round, walk through the door of resus, go, big rubber dolly, I'm off. To be honest, we've not had that reaction at all. We've had huge buy-in from the specialties and, you know, really positive contributions from people. So
0: thus far, it's been great. Really surprisingly great, but great. So we said at the beginning, we just mentioned this Gorilla Sim idea. When do you do those? is there a right time to do that is that bringing those other people in were those trauma things gorilla sims is there a benefit to one or the other the gorilla sim we've not done so much of
1: because i think it's it's pretty risky actually you basically the idea is you do gorilla sim at any time i'm sure you're aware as i'm aware some of the most challenging times of doing resuscitation is when you have a busy complex department or when you get the wrong person in the wrong place so you know We've done um, various different things. So we've done a cardiac arrest in the minors area of the department, a long way away from resus. Those are complex systems to put together. But you get a lot of learning out of that. And again, if you look back at some of the incidents that have taken place, I'm sure, in your trust and my trust, they're not always, in fact, they're often rarely pre-alerted patients who come in via ambulance where you've got 10 minutes to prepare. The complex issues that we take place in the ED, the complex human factors issues, are often in the wrong place, at the wrong time, with what supposedly, no, it's never the wrong patient, but with the wrong history and the wrong story. And it's quite easy to simulate that, and it's quite easy to really learn from the organisation, from the department, and from the individuals when you do it. So GorillaSim can take place at any time, doesn't matter how busy it is, but you've got to be realistic. If the place is really going like a chippy, it's probably not wise, if your patients and your staff are already very stressed at one moment and then you come in and do this you'll lose friends extremely rapidly so be sensible be careful but do recognize that there's potentially great learning by doing things in a guerrilla way
0: so to draw that all together it sounds to me like simulation is a great adjunct to other forms of learning and it can also bring teams together it can help departments run more efficiently more effectively it helps educate people on all sorts of different levels it seems to me that you need to plan this ahead of time you need to make sure the session is sorted out you know what your learning points are you know when it's going to happen and you get people on board and it needs senior leadership from the medical and nursing teams is there anything else that you wanted to mention just before we finish off the podcast perhaps some extra bits that you wanted to add in yeah there's a couple of
1: kit things i would say that are important we've been quite fortunate in that we've managed to uh, steal a uh, sorry sorry acquire sorry uh, borrow a trolley a recessed trolley and we've reproduced the equipment that we have on our normal recess trolley so essentially you can wheel wield a, a a defibrillator some airway kit the drawers with monitors and everything into recess we can wheel the patient in on a trolley and that kind of reproduces the setting and the scene so that works very very well and then is quite important we talked a little bit about topics so we can do the big recess stuff we also take people and we try and reproduce what happens in normal practice so if the patient's not that unwell we don't get immediate calls to recess we will get what would normally happen we get a junior doctor to come along and we encourage them to go through the process of a, their assessment and then we look at things like handover and communication between different levels um, and different professions within the trust so the kit issues, the people getting the recess kit together um, are important. I think it's been noticeable that we have a, we have a very expensive mannequin. It's, it's very, very good. But you know what? Most of the time we don't use the high fidelity stuff. Most of the time we're just talking about how people communicate, how they talk and how they lead. It's not about the technical stuff. It's about the teams. And I think that's been a big learning point for us. When we started at the beginning, some of the scenarios we put out were very, very complex we didn't need them we needed simple scenarios at the beginning straightforward vf cardiac arrest brilliant for learning brilliant for seeing how people plan before a patient arrives brilliant to see how they get situational awareness how they predict what's going to happen and superb at looking at how communication happens
0: in our busy resource. been really great stuff so keep it simple keep it cheap and simulation can work for you Simon, thanks so much for going through that. I hope this will be a useful adjunct to all of those lucky enough to be at USUM. And for those of us who can't be there, well, we'll book our leave from next year and look forward to hearing from you again soon. I look forward to putting Stemlins back as a team together. With, With a bit of luck. Take care, everyone. Have fun.